and I'll take a knife and I'll stab myself with it and just fight weapon and stab myself with it because I've got uh, absolute confidence in what I'm, I'm, I'm doing and what I'm wearing and, and, this, and the belief in what we do. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Body armor for the modern protector. Today, Sean West and myself are delighted to be speaking with Colin McKinnon, Technical Director at the PPSS Group. What a topic, Sean. Following on from some great episodes we've had recently, why body armor and why now? Well, it's something that I haven't worn for quite a long time now. Like I always, when I think of body armor, I always think back to my days in the military and the big flak jackets I used to wear with big chest plates and back plates. And I don't have any fond memories of wearing body armor, but I think the world of body armor has completely changed now. Um, there's a lot more discreet armor that you can wear you know, within your suit or, you know, in more forgiving environments. It's not about the big, thick plates, blast-proof plates. There's different, more effective armor now for you know, knife wounds or blade trauma attacks. It'd just be interesting now to see how much it's come on. It's not something I've really followed. And I know PPSS group have been in the game a long time, so I'm sure they're up to date, up to speed mm. with everything that's out there at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, when was the last time you heard of a principal being chased down the streets of Mayfair with a long gun? Like, <laughs> it's just, no, but but you've heard them getting their watch stolen. You, you, you've heard them uh, getting maybe slashed or, or threatened. Um, I think I think maybe this is a case also of of the, the threat landscape changing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, and I, I guess we're not talking about principals wearing body armor, but I think you know wherever you are working, if you're working in a more forgiving environment, and the threat's completely different, and you know, you're, you're working in I don't know, let's say let's say London in Mayfair, and you've got you're walking around with somebody with fifty, sixty thousand pound Rolexes, people aren't carrying guns and. I'm not going to say they're not carrying guns, but a bigger threat would be a knife, for instance. And if you're walking around with someone who is carrying them sort of things, that more discreet body armour you know, may be very effective. Um, you're not going to be without it if you're wearing, you know, if it's accessible. You know, nobody's going to wear them big flak jackets, for sure, because it's just it's not the right environment. However, the more discreet items out there now, it'd be interesting to have a look at them. I've not visited them myself, so it'd be very interesting to hear what they're like now and what's available. Well, let's 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 think about that. Let's put the pieces together, and hopefully, this is sort of a revolution in in technology for 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 the whole um, CPEP community. Because, as as you say, it's it's maybe not the really really heavy jacket that people like to train with. Not that if you are a crossfitter out there, that's that's still probably fine. You're still probably fine to train with a training vest. Um, but 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 there is something to be said for this new and innovative uh, sort of mithril esque uh, technology. So Sean, let's get into it. Uh, Colin McKinnon, technical director at the PPS Group, and the advent of new body armor for the Protector. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine.
Body Armor for today's protector. We're very pleased to welcome Colin McKinnon, Technical Director at the PPSS Group. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Colin. It's very lovely to be here. Looking forward to a chat. Absolutely. And thanks uh, for coming on. And of course, this ties nicely to several other uh, segments that we've done in the podcast uh, recently. But but let's do our three quick fire questions. What, what is the problem we're trying to solve here with, with body armor? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of changes um, since early 2000s with uh, terrorism attacks and organized crime gangs. Um, there's been a shift in the type of weaponry that we see out there on the on the streets. I think the most important thing is to make sure that the end users get the correct product um, for the most realistic threat that's out there. Um, we see a lot of people wearing ballistic body armor, um, outdated body armor, um, you know, no, not certified body armor. And it's to ensure that the people that are frontline staff are getting the correct equipment. Mm. And, 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 and what about you? Where does your passion come from? Yeah, well, I was, I was 27 years in the police. Um, I had a lot of experience with um, wearing body armour, uh, mainly a Kevlar-based type of body armour. Um, I joined PPSS uh, about um, five years ago um, as a consultant and then uh, got into the research and development side of things and um, then became a technical director. Uh, for me, uh, my passion is seeing people wearing the correct equipment and knowing that we've protected them. Um, we, we get feedback. We had some feedback only only a few weeks ago, where an officer was attacked and and it and it saved him, mm. right? And he could he couldn't say enough about about it. And it gives you a good warm feeling inside, you know. Um, I think coming from the police background, I always wanted to uh, protect people, and even moving on to PPSS, that still gives me that that feeling of protection and and ensuring that people are, are given the right equipment to suit their environment. Um, yeah, it makes you feel good. That's my passion. Fantastic. And 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 then what about the completely uninitiated protector? Because they're, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm sure at some stage they've trained with body armor or something. But but what about the protector that's not currently using it? And they think, oh, uh, you know, that's not for me. What, what, what should they better understand? Yeah, I think, I think technically things have changed. I mean, for me, coming from the police into the PPSS, it was an item for me because I was used to soft, aramid type of Kevlar star body armor and not realizing that composites were out there. So uh, PPSS produce a composite body armor, which is a hard body armor. And um, we can touch on that a bit more in detail uh, in, in a few minutes. But um, for people that are out there, I think the first thing they think of is Kevlar. And, you know, it has its issues. It's still a very good product, but it, it might not be suited to the environment that they're going to work in. And a lot of people these days, because we've got the, the internet, will just go onto the internet and see what was the first search for body armor. And, and obviously, you've got budget. Budget's always going to be an issue. People go out there, eBay, places like that, and buy a second-hand piece of body armor, which I would never recommend. You just don't know where it's been, how it's been handled, how it's been looked after, and, in, in fact, if it's actually up to the job. So, you know, I think for the first-time user, do your research. You know, speak to professionals. Um, in our company, we're former police officers, former military, operational um, you know, backgrounds where we can advise you and consult with you, make sure you've got the right equipment. Don't rush into it. You know, yeah, they're expensive, but they're there to do a job. 
and don't think it's going to fit like your best jeans or your your, your favorite pajamas. You know, it's there's a lot of things to be discussed. I personally go to every meeting that we have. And the reasons for that is we want to make sure that people who maybe have never worn body armor, and I do go to a lot of meetings these days where people have never worn body armor, um, that we explain it thoroughly, mm. the pros and the cons, how to look after it, how to wear it. Um, so I think for the first time user, do your research. Uh, speak to professional. Okay, fantastic. Well, I know we're going to get on to why we might want this uh, body armor, but maybe it, it might be helpful to to sort of set the parameters of what is and what is not body armor. Because I think everyone's seen those videos of the the, the slash vest and they slash yeah. themselves through a shirt, and it's and it's very impressive. Is that body armor? And and you know, are, are we counting shields as body armor? Like where where does body armor stop and start? Yeah, I mean, I think historically when people are looking at body armor, you could go all the way back to uh, people wearing uh, metal armor, you know, and you could look at uh, samurais wearing bamboo and, and thick thick fabrics. You know, body armor has been around a long, long time. Um, <clears throat> but moving forward, I mean, the advent of Kevlar sort of from the Vietnam War, uh, flat jackets, that's how they started off, really. And it's sort of um, you know, evolved from there really into ballistic vests, and and now we're seeing stab-resistant um, types of body armor uh, like our own. Uh, I think main things that have, have changed is the introduction of new materials um, as we come forward. We're seeing things like titanium being used. Um, for us, we're using carbon fiber and a resin composite. Um, you know, it's it's a completely revolutionary uh, type of body armor, um, and I think. Um, Weight has changed as well, you know, and thickness and thinness of body armor. Um, the main thing is yeah, getting certification, uh, being transparent and going through um, proper testing bodies like the Home Office, VPAM, NIJ in the States, making sure you're, you've got the right certification for your, your body armor. Uh, that's the main things that have changed, I think. Yeah. Materials. Materials, yeah, f- fantastic, and I, I think you know everyone, everyone hears of you know success stories like graphene and uh, mm. carbon fiber and, and all of that, but uh, but titanium, I don't know if anyone's you know heard you know heard of something that everyone can wear uh, made out of made out of that. Um, however, let's go back then. So, why why should they consider using this? You know, what are the threats out there that that would warrant it? Yeah, I think. Um... We sort of had a little chat before we came on air there. The terrorism uh, since the early 2000s has really changed things. Um, you know, we had, we had like, uh, the IRA was still about in the early 2000s, but coming into sort of you know, 2005-ish, we started to see the Islamic extremists um, and the 7-7 attacks, um, three trains of bus going, uh, Glasgow Airport. Um, we had things like the MPs being stabbed, Stephen Timms in 2010 um and you know we started to see a shift from sort of that point because we're looking at bombs at the time where it's really changed with organized crime gangs and terrorism we started to see stabbings occurring again um and a lot of that and i came from a counter-terrorist background a lot of that reason is we've got some excellent security services in this country Uh, i can't say enough about them they do an excellent job um, and it's it became apparent that if you start appearing on the radar, you're going to get arrested. So people started to shift back to very basic weaponry. It wasn't rocket science. It was knives and then taking a screwdriver and sharpening it up in the shed. And the, the problem with that, with body armor, 
is it would defeat most body armors, a spiked weapon, mm. a very basic weapon. And it was a bit of a shock to a lot of people that something as basic as that could cause such destruction. And of course, we started to see attacks from sort of 2010 on to 2017, where they were using cars to mow people down, but then coming out with spiked weapons and knives because it's so easy to do. Um, so that sort of rolled over into organised crime gangs as well. We, we started to see, although the sh obviously uh, guns out there and people use guns, every day we hear of stabbing, don't we? But we don't hear of, of um, people getting shot as often. It's, it's nearly every day in every major city around the country we hear of stabbings. And it's either involving a knife or it's involving a spike weapon. So I think really, uh, over a period of time, leading up to today's sort of time, we're looking at the types of uh, materials that are used being more realistic for the threat. And why, why I sort of talk about that is I go to many meetings where people are wearing outdated body armour, um, which is possibly ballistic. Well, that isn't going to stop a knife and it's not going to stop a spiked weapon. But they think they're protected because they're wearing body armour. So, so that's an interesting one. W yeah. Why? Why would, a, would, a, would, would such a vest not stop a knife? Um, um is is it the way it's constructed is it a a, a non-newtonian liquid lots of people seen those uh, videos online um what why will it not stop a a, a a blade you're absolutely correct um essentially when when things like the aramid type of vest came out um they're a weave they're, they're made from um fabric and they're woven in such a way uh that it acts a bit like a spider's web mm. so what's coming at it like a ballistic um, sort of threat, it'll catch it and, and then catch it like a spider's web and stop it penetrating and twist it and, and move it around so it doesn't offer you uh, trauma. But the problem with that is that in, in a weave, you've got tiny holes. Okay, so obviously, if you put anything that's sharp and pointy, it will find its way through that little weave and into your body. Mm. And obviously, over time, the, the type of weave that was used with uh, an aramid. Has changed, so it can it can be ballistic, or it can be a stab-resistant type of weave to stop um, a, a bladed implement or or a spiked weapon. Um, but in terms of like the, the type of materials we we produce, a composite, it's a hard uh, body armor. It has no holes in it, so it's it's for a very different job, and it won't allow a spiked weapon, a needle, or a knife to penetrate through it because there are, there are no holes. So. This is where you see the shift in the type of body armor that's out there. Um, initially, when we, when we produced body armor, we made it from uh, polycarbonate. And it was um, five millimeters thick, uh, 2.3 kilograms up to 2.6. And it would stop a knife. <clears throat> but when I joined the company and we started to look into different types of composites, we realized that the type of threat out there was more to do with spiked weapons and knives. And we're seeing more and more of these type of weapons. So we started to look into a different type of composite. Um, and if you look at like, the definition of a composite material, it's, it's a combination of two materials with different physical and, and chemical properties. Um, and you combine them and specialize to do a, a certain job, become stronger, lighter or stiffer. And that's essentially what we looked at. Uh, we combined um, carbon fiber with uh, a resin and it became a hard outer shell. But where, where it differed from the polycarbonate, because we, we thought that was no longer good enough, because it would only stop a knife. It was down to 3.6 millimetres. It was 1.75 to 1.9 kilograms. 
and it didn't degrade. It came with a long warranty, and it was now good for knives, spike weapons, needles, but more importantly, blunt force trauma. Mm. Because what we see with stuff like um, an army uh, vest is somebody's, if I gave you an example, if I came at you, Phelan, with a, a knife, and you're wearing your soft body armor, the impact of the knife into your chest is going to cause trauma. It may stop the knife from penetrating, but I could break your ribs. So push it into your lungs, you'll get internal bleeding. So one of the, the biggest aspects for us was blunt force trauma. And a lot of um, you know, armoured type of vests, because they're soft body armour, they'll offer a little bit of protection from the thickness of the vest, but they won't actually protect you from blunt force trauma. So we had to look at different things. We had to look at knife protection, spike protection, needle protection, and blunt force trauma. And this is why we went down the route of composites. Um, and it was a bit of an eye-opener for me, as I said, because you had all this protection from something that was only 3.6 millimetres thick. Um, we released it in 2019 at the International Security event in London. Uh, there's quite a famous video on, online now. Uh, it went absolutely viral. I think we got like um, uh, 54,000 hits or something like that. A million, actually. million, 54 million. Um, and it shows me actually stabbing that, my boss. Now, there's confidence for you. You know, um, Robert Kaiser, who's our founder and CEO, he will wear all our body armour, and I've attacked him with baseball bats, machetes, spiked weapons, and knives live there on stage. And people's mouths just open, and they're just agape at what it can actually do with such a thinness and lightness. And, and coming back to what we said earlier, this is where things have changed. You know, it's no longer the big, thick, heavy, sweaty type of body armour you used to wear. It's very, very thin, very, very light and extremely protective. And that's that's where, you know, things have really changed. And I think that, that sort of really changed from terrorism sort of 2005 onwards, where we're seeing this big shift in the type of weaponry that was out there. Hmm. Yeah. And and I mean, obviously, it's it's great. You have a great working relationship with your boss, right? That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's good news. Um, but um, what... What areas of the body should we be concerned about? In my imagination, it's uh, anywhere where there's like an artery, uh, you, you, you want to protect it. I mean, is, is is it as simple as that? You think, all right, I, I want to protect the wrists and maybe uh, the inner thigh. What are we supposed to protect? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And um, I'll touch on another uh, type of product that we produce to, um, to work in conjunction with your body armour. Um, body armour historically has always sort of covered the torso. Um, that's because that's where your vital organs are, as simple as that. You know, if, if you get a, um, a stab wound in, or, or a, um, you're shot in, in the area of your torso, you're likely to die. You know, it's as simple as that. So you really need to protect that, and obviously the head. But, I mean, you know, you see that in the military with with type of, of uh, helmets. But really, when we're talking about security and, and, and people working in that line of work, frontline facing staff, it's the torso. So we generally see that vest design, and they're all very, very similar in that they cover from the neck up to the armpit and then down the main part of the, the torso, usually down to the belly button or down to the, the uh, belt line, um, and then all the way down the back. Uh, and obviously that's going to protect the vital organs. Um, but as I said, and you've just touched on, what about other arteries? And you're absolutely right. Um, it's something that people don't really take into consideration uh, that there's other areas of your body that 
if, if you were sliced, you could die from, you know, areas of the neck, under the armpit, down the arms. You know, you've got major arteries there, top of the legs, um, even down towards the calf area. you still still got your main arteries there. So it was something that we really looked into. We looked at it from, um, it was basically my, my um, CEO had a friend who was in the prison service, a former military guy. And he was slashed with a Tabasco bottle in a prison environment under the armpit and almost died from it and um, had a severe injury to his uh, his arm. And it set my um, CEO's mind thinking into how they could protect that. Um, so going back in time, really, um, ooh, we'll be looking at, let's have a look, uh, around about uh, 2012, we brought out a Cutex Pro. Now, Cutex Pro is like a, a fabric, and it is cut resistant, slash resistant, and we found out it was bite resistant, human bites as well. So uh, that sort of set things going in a different direction. Uh, and now we have three different companies doing things in different areas. Um, for security, it would be called Slash Pro. Um, and basically, it's the clothing that you would wear in conjunction with your body armor. It will never replace your body armor. Because if we go back to the scenario of a knife point going at it or a spiked weapon going at it, because it's now a weave, it's mm. a fabric, it has little holes in it, the point will go in. But in terms of like slashing attacks, um, when we're talking about um, you know the, the, the type of general attack which occurs, then the slashing attack or um, uh, any, any type of um, movement towards you outside of the body armour so, so down your arms or the top of the neck would be covered by this fabric. So it's it's, it's a different type of material. Uh, we use it in, uh, it's also known as Bite Pro, and we use it in nursing mm. and uh, mental health, challenging behaviours, even in education, such as autism, um, because some of the, um, the nurses or carers are getting bitten, and it's a bite-resistant material. But we also use it in industry, glass and metal works. Um, so it's, it's it's quite a versatile material, but um, you're absolutely right. Um, you know there are other areas of the body that can be subject of an attack, but we feel like if we can combine some materials in those high risk areas where it's a, a health and safety issue, where it really is essential that mm. those areas are covered, we've got other options we can use in conjunction with the body armor to cover those areas. And so is that sort of the answer for the operator not going into hot zone because i mean maybe they'll you know be a hot zone specialist maybe they'll take some work now and again but by and large they're not in hot zone so so how do they wear a suit and body armor or is it a case of having the body armor in the trunk ready to put it on um is, is it a case of a new special john wick-esque uh tailor-made suit i i don't know how can how can they do that in everyday life yeah it's an interesting one and I, and I think it really comes down to your own health and safety um and what sort of environment you're working in i mean you know we deal with everybody from car park attendants up to military um and and everybody's got a different um occupation and and how they deal with things um it really come down to to the individual and the circumstance that they're going to have to wear it but um, in my experience, most security teams in the UK, uh, once they're on duty, they have to wear the body armor all the time. It's not really an option. Very similar to the police. Um, you come on duty, you, you're going to be front facing. 
this could happen at any time in an attack, you will wear your body armour. However, you know, there are a lot of versatile body armours out there that can be folded and, and placed behind car seats. Um, we can put our body armour on very, very quickly, you know, a matter of seconds. So, you know, it, it isn't unrealistic to think that you could keep it in the back of a car and wear it. Um, it can also be worn covertly because it's very, very thin. Mm. So, again, you know, um, wearing clothing over the top is, is an option. So I think really, yeah, going back to it, I keep repeating myself here, but um, it's down to your own health and safety and how you're going to wear it. I mean, what if it was used not so much for the protector, but for the protectee? In that, let's say there's an ultra high net worth individual, but they might be frail. Yeah. Is that okay? Like, can we have frail people wearing it? Or is there is there a, is there a point at which we say, ah, no, not for you, not for you, uh, because you know it it's too unwieldy or or maybe maybe i'm just coming up with it now but let's say there was a really rich but morbidly obese person um is there anyone for whom this isn't really for them yeah i mean i can give you some different um ideas of how people have worn it who Mm. aren't necessarily security people Uh, we had a, a client who who used the fabric i was just mentioning uh, the Cutex Pro and had it woven into a suit, mm. very John Wickish, you know, mm. um, because he, he he felt like he was at risk of of uh, knife attack. Now, um, you know, it just shows you how versatile it could be and how thin it is. You could do that, um, but we we have uh, other clients. Um, I'll say government after certain, and I'll say after the MPs being stabbed, uh, but I won't say any more than that. Mm. Um, who can wear this body armor underneath their own suits because it is very thin. Um, and some individuals have chosen to do that. You know, some individuals will, will choose to use either the fabric or body armor. It's, it's obviously a personal choice. Um, so yes, it can be worn by an individual. Um, the other sort of aspect is, is to look at the environment as well. Um, for us, I mean, we have a, a hard body armor. So if it was used in a nursing environment where possibly somebody with some challenging behaviours um, was to attack a nurse, they could actually injure themselves because the body arm is hard. Mm. So we've got duty of care for the patient as well. So in terms of that, we actually looked at a different type of body armour for that environment. So um, we would have, uh, it's, it's made from um, a high density foam, um, like a memory foam. So it allows... Um, the person wearing it to be protected against pinching and, and biting and, and uh, you know, even some blunt force trauma, but the, the actual patient wouldn't hurt themselves on that type of material. So there's a different aspect. And then, of course, you can look at materials such as our Cutex Pro, uh, which could be used in a mental health facility, where actually the end user would be the patient because it would be a, a anti-ligature. We don't want it being torn and used for uh, self-harm. Mm. So, you know, there are different ways in it that we can look at the type of PPE that's available and how we could um, utilize it in the different environment. And, and and you mentioned a lot of these composite materials. And at least a couple of years ago on the EP circuit, everyone was saying, oh, um, uh, acid and alkali attacks. Oh, you know, it was it was very much the the uh, threat that people had to counter. And, you know, we we had the big debate about, you know, 
use a, a neutralizing agent and not water and that was that that opened our eyes but I, but i wonder uh is that taken into consideration with with this or or are we purely saying that that is a different threat we're, we're really looking at stabbing and trauma yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, if you go to the Home Office these days, um, you actually have a website. Um, it's called the uh, uh, Police Equipment Database, the PED. And anybody can Google that. And they can put in the name of any manufacturer and check to see what certifications they have. Now, interestingly, the Home Office only tests for specific things for body armour. And, and that's generally going to be knives, uh, spiked weapons, and blunt force trauma, uh, possibly needles. Um, and those are the certifications they do. So in terms of like chemicals attacks, um, you know, they're not taken into account. So it's an interesting one that you just brought up there. Uh, maybe something that maybe needs to be adopted, uh, especially in light of what you've just said. In, in yeah, there was certainly an, a an area of time there that we had where there was that, that type of uh, attack was taking place. Mm. But currently in the Home Office, uh, VPAM out in Germany um, and the NIJ in, in, in the United States, they don't take that into account. And so I, I, I appreciate you are working very hard and you're, you're, you're developing R&D. But generally, this sounds like a lot of things to have trickled down from the soldier modernization programs or future soldier programs or Merck or things things uh, of that nature. Um, is, is there any truth to that? And if so, what gets people excited is... <laughs> What what elements of that are, are yet to trickle down that we'd love to uh, to be using? You know, technology is a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, and it changes day to day. I, I think we're always going to be seeing new technology coming in. Uh, I mean, we we obviously looked at new technology for our body armor, and um, I'm sure everybody else is doing the same, military and government. Um, I know from my time in the police, I saw a lot of changes. Uh, over 27 years, uh, a lot of introduction of new equipment. Um, you know, I think I think it's um, going to continue that way. I can't give you a you know a definitive answer on on what type of materials we'll be looking at in the future, I, but I do know that there are a lot of things in development. Yeah, fantastic, and I, it actually yeah. makes me want to go back and look at those soldier mod programs. I used to run events dedicated to soldier mod, and actually yeah. the big thing there was body armor with power. How do we build in power? Yeah. Um, actually, maybe that's a good question. Is that a consideration today? Because we're, we're looking at weight considerations. Um, do do we want to attach power to our vests, or or or, or is that a whole new uh, can of worms? I think it's an interesting one. Um, you know, it's something that um, it, it does pique my interest because uh, from from the military side of things, that you, you see the changes there. I mean, when I was on firearm teams in in the place, you were looking at four five, six kilogram weights of uh, body armor, you know, and you didn't hang a, a body worn camera from it. You didn't have a radio hung from it. It was, it was a very different type of concept there. Same in the military. We're starting to see um, body worn cameras on body armor hung from the front of it on the top of helmets. Um, and that's certainly changing a lot. And, and you're looking at weights coming down to like, you know, 1.75 kilograms for our body armor. It's, it's really changed, you know, in, in quite a short space of time, really. And then you can see something like the mobile phone, you know, there's more technology on the mobile phone than put a rocket on the, on the moon. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be going forward like that. So I don't, I don't say that um, it wouldn't happen. It could certainly be done. I think with molding these days, you could mold 
uh, an area on body armor that would accommodate um, some sort of camera or something like that. It's, mm. it's not impossible. I think uh, we're starting to see a lot of people wearing body-worn cameras these days. We certainly accommodate for that on the, our outer covers. So I think, I think yes, you will probably see technology introduced into some form of protection, yeah. And and I guess because you're describing quite light uh, weights, this this will not be music to the ears of CrossFitters uh, across the world, uh, because uh, you, you see CrossFitters training with uh, heavy vests, and and they say, well, this is to mimic an eighty pound pack and uh, and also a really heavy vest. Um, I mean, obviously that's great for their health, but potentially, I, I can't say if it's good or not. But, but, um, but do, 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 do you see the need to continue that weight training, given that the weight of these vests is, is, is coming down? Well, all I can say, give you an example of um, in the place you would train wearing your body armor uh, and carrying the the guns uh, and the magazines and everything else that you were going to realistically use operationally. So I think I think if it you know if I was professional out there whether I was a security guard or somebody in the police or the military I'd always train for reality but that's me you know uh, a lot of people get the body armor they put it on for the day's duty but they don't take into account the extra weight or the equipment they have to carry with it and that's down to the individual really but I know that why I would personally do and I see it as a, a bonus that body armor is coming down in weight. You know, but the protection is, is continuing to go up, you know, and the lighter, the thinner, the better for me uh, in terms of operational use. I think most people would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, they'd probably be. It's a welcome change, especially yeah. in hot environments. Um, so 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 where where can people sort of go to learn more and um, what what should they consider? Like their first step, they, they, they want to maybe wear some discrete body armor, maybe not some in a massive uh, kit, what what should their first steps be to, to learn about that? Yeah, I think if you've never worn body armor, you need to speak to the professionals, as we said before. I mean, we're, we're happy to take phone calls and speak to people um, with regard in, in the sales of that and advise them and consult with them. And as I said, if it came down to like something like a security company, uh, we supply most of the major security companies here in the UK we would go in person to speak to people and ensure that they have a complete understanding of, of, of the body armor, how to wear it, care for it, you know, and, and its effectiveness and, and its, its, uh, its pros and cons, really. Um, because we want people to uh, understand that wearing body armor, um, it's becoming essential these days. You know, we're seeing the type of attacks out there quite regularly and it becomes part of a uniform. You know, it's, it's, it's something that you put on every day uh, a lot of, we have a bit of resistance to it, you know, and I think people who maybe died in the war, uh, ex-military people, ex-police even, who've worn an old style body armor such as Kevlar or something like that, introducing this new technology, these, these lighter, thinner um, type of materials with all these different certifications, you know, um, it's very important that people understand what it can do. When I go down to a, a, an actual meeting, I mean, I, uh, as a director, I go to meetings in person. I'll probably put the biggest guy in the room and hand him a baseball bat and get him to hit me with it, wearing the body armor. Now that speaks volumes, you know, and I'll take a knife and I'll stab myself with it and a spike weapon and stab myself with it. And because I've got, you know, uh, absolute confidence in what I'm, I'm, I'm doing and what I'm wearing and, and, this, and the belief in what we do. Um, but I want to show that to 
the people who are considering buying body armor. It's a huge expenditure for most companies. Uh, you know, body armor is not cheap uh, by any means. Um, for us as a company, it was very important to us that we didn't produce a body armor that was going to go out of date within five years, which is the majority of body armors will do that. Ours doesn't degrade and it comes with a 10-year warranty. So we try to extend that period of use to companies because of the expenditure uh, and make it a, a more viable option to them. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you're going out there, first thing, get in touch with professionals, the ones that you see advertised all the time, the ones that are producing the videos, the ones that have the certification on the police equipment database. Check it out. If they're not on that database, say, for instance, they've got uh, knife protection, and the claiming spike protection on the website, check it out in the database. Have a look at the police equipment database. If it doesn't say spike protection, they haven't got it. If they don't appear on the database, certifications run out. Don't buy from them. You know, simple things like that, and then get the proper advice from the professionals. Fantastic. Well, you know, thanks very much for, for coming on. I know this ties in nicely to some of the other sessions that we've been doing. Uh, we did the uh, the mounted uh, protection, so on motorbikes, we did that. We did uh, other seg segments on armored vehicles. Uh, so, 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 why not uh, look at this really crucial piece uh, of, of of protection? Um, well, Colin, thanks very much for coming on. Um, this, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, thank you very much, Colin and uh, the PPSS group. Great to have you on and great to look at something that's clearly evolving and clearly getting more accessible to the protector. Uh, what, what did you take away from today's session, Sean? Yeah, it was great. And, you know, what I really liked is hearing about the new technologies that's coming out, the, the carbon fiber technologies, which makes it more, I don't know, accessible. And is the word accessible? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it's accessible. It's democratized. Yeah, so it's more covert working mm -hmm. in a cityscape environment as opposed to, you know, the old mindset of putting on these big black jacket type body armors. So, yeah, I think it, it's nice to hear about these new technologies and the more increasingly light it gets, you know, why can't everyone have these sort of things, you know, sewn into their suits or whatever that may be if the environment that you're working in leans towards that. Absolutely, because like if we think of the threats, well, are you worried about IEDs? I mean, if you're worried about IEDs, you, you there's nothing you're going to wear apart from maybe a giant CIED suit that you see, you know, in in, in the movies and so on. So, so if if we accept that, we're thinking about the modern threat. Yet, sure, obviously, in some some places in hot zones, we're going to encounter different threats, but we're looking at things like bats, blades, screwdrivers. And, and we've got to have a response to that. We've got to have something a bit more rational. And and I, I like the idea, as you said, of, of interweaving it into the suit. We had the John Wick analogy on the uh, mobility session that we did just the other uh, week on on the podcast. Um, and 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 I think this this lightness will be will be very very handy. Um, I mean, do do you hear of many operators anyway who are slashed with knives very frequently or or, or is this a, a precautionary measure i think it's a precautionary measure and i think it's is it unfounded but no because there's many people i know who work in 
RST type scenarios where they're out on the street in a vehicle, you know, through the night. And when you, you're working on the streets of London or wherever it is through the night, you do have people who are out on the streets who are up to no good. And this is not people who are attacking your principal. This is just people who are going trying doors of cars or trying to break into properties. And if you are there in that environment, and, and I've seen this before where we've, we've had guys out and they've been in vehicles and someone's tried the car, the door of their car and they're sat in the car, you know, and if you're working through the night, why shouldn't you be able to wear something that's nice and easy and accessible to, to wear, which is going to offer you a bit of protection? Because um, also, you're getting out of the car, you're in a less threatening posture. If you've got a big flak jacket type, I think straight away, I think you're raising that, not the exposure, you're raising... The threat profile, the, the, the alert level of, of somebody else who's looking at you, they'll go, yeah. Is this a threat? Is this guy going to come after me? Um, you know, you can keep it nice and low key. And you feel a bit of element of safety as well if you're wearing a stab vest or something like that, if you're in that environment, for sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully it will it will get people to be cautious and not suddenly brazen and feel invincible. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think, you know, it's the name of the game, isn't it? Um, and maybe a future episode, we could explore what that type of protection could look like for maybe children, maybe the elderly, um, things like that. Maybe that's maybe that's a sort of a follow up thing, you know, especially with the vulnerable principle. But um, but no, I really appreciate it. And it, and it ties into the protective mobility sessions that we did with Joe Atera. And um, yeah, I think everyone should explore their options. But apart from that, um, I have noticed some great traction on the BBA Connect app and the NABA Protector app. Thank you very much for uh, posting and commenting there. People have been reaching out directly to me. Um, it's nice, you know, people are people are having a chat either <laughs> through a DM, through an email, or on the app itself. Um, always, always happy, happy to help. What, what's what's new for you, Sean? Same as I think we spoke previously. I've kind of going through a transition period myself personally. Um, changing from being more operational to helping coach business owners and security professionals. And you're right, you know, there has been some great traction within the different apps and also getting lots of DMs, lots of inquiries from people working out there. And it's really nice to be actually a bit more engaged in the community than what maybe I was previously. Um, so yeah, exciting times. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep promoting uh, what, what you're, what you're doing and how to, how to connect with you as well. Um, Cause uh, I think, I think this, this community is ripe for coaching, ripe for improvement, uh, especially since you yourself have built uh, successful businesses, um, which, which is one of the themes that we do cover on the podcast. And maybe we have to explore that in, uh, in more detail, moving from the army of one to the, you know, the scaled business. Um, perhaps, perhaps that's a direction we can go in. Um, what, 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 what else do you do? You, do you think our, our listeners should be thinking about? Same as always, we're crying out. Let's get some more articles in, some more podcast guests. If you are working in the industry, you've got something you want to shout about. You want to come on here, have Pelham grill you in front of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm friendly. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, get your name in and yeah, we'd love to have you on here and you know, provide some value to our audience. And same, if you want to put that in a written format, we'd be glad to have that as well to keep the magazine going. 
And, and for our UK or London-based uh, friends, we will have a meetup uh, on the 26th of September at the outside of the Security Expo in London, like we did uh, last year and the year before. So we're uh, hoping to see you there. Very informal, but since we're all there anyway, we will uh, we will send details of where we're going to be. It's going to be the same place, uh, but uh, we will we will keep you updated. But yes, thank you very much. Great to get the uh, session with Colin uh, in the bag and great to look at body armor. Actually, looking back, I, I don't know why we haven't touched body armor before. It seems such a natural fit. Um, let's keep uh, investigating our body armor options, especially as it gets more lightweight and comfortable. Uh, so from Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.